So, welcome back to Broken Oars, and it's another Broken Oars Indoors episode. Um, we have with us this week uh, Alicia Clark. Alicia is all the way from the US, and, and we're managing to branch out to the US a couple of times so far. Alicia is operating both virtually and in real life as uh, a rowing and, or an indoor rowing coach. Um, helping women improve strength, fitness, and confidence. Yeah, I definitely say that. I'm in person at the gym that I coach at. It's a CrossFit gym. So I help women and men there. And then online, focus more so on helping women. Could you give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you come to be on this pod and Instagram helping people row better? So my rowing journey started when I went to college. I swam before that for nine years, actually heard about rowing from one of my older teammates who went to Wisconsin. So then when she came back, told me all about it, didn't want to swim anymore, went to Purdue University and decided to try out for the rowing team. And it's actually not a varsity team. It's club guys and girls, probably about oh, 100 people total guys and girls. So rowed for four years loved it. <laughs> There's really not much more to say besides that. Uh, had a great time rowing and I also got my bachelor's of science in chemical engineering. <laughs> so I'm actually not, you know, exercise science by degree. So definitely uh, an interesting story there. <laughs> so, um, but after college, uh, uh, you know, stopped rowing, kind of had that transition of going from, uh, being an athlete and always having a coach to, all right, what's, what's next? What do I do now? <laughs> and so, you know, started going to a gym, kind of trying to figure out what the heck I'm supposed to do and uh, decided to eventually pick up running, trained for a marathon, ran one of those. <laughs> and then um, after that's when I joined CrossFit, decided to become a coach. I just loved helping people. It's just kind of my personality. And really did see a need more specifically on the indoor rowing part in CrossFit. That's kind of where I started kind of trying to focus on the indoor rowing part. Uh, just saw how there was a lot of improvement could be made uh, just with the uh, form and how people try to get more power and think about it in the sport. So um, in CrossFit and as I'm coaching, that's also kind of why I'm focusing on indoor rowing, just trying to help people there get faster so they don't have to worry about it as much. It's not their limiting factor in their wads. So I know one of the sayings actually in CrossFit is you might not win the workout on the rower, but you can certainly lose it. Yeah. <laughs> so that's definitely one of those things um, for that. And then as I've been coaching, I've been building my online business and that's pretty much leads me to now. I'm, I'm just going to dive in on this one because I kind of want to talk to you about it. And it will also wind Aaron up because he's an English language PhD. Chemical engineering. What what did you do with the chemical engineering? Because because you actually work, unlike all of the chemical engineers I know who are teachers and they teach maths and they teach chemistry, I don't know any chemical engineers who actually did chemical engineering. So, so just tell us a little bit about your, your career before your kind of recent change. Uh, I actually did 
I had an internship where I got to work on oil rigs. So that was kind of cool. <laughs> but after I graduated, I was a quality engineer at a steel mill. And so I was at the hot mill where basically they take steel bars and they flatten them. So picture like two rolling pins. And I know I'm holding my hands up and the, <laughs> the viewers can't really see it, but then the bar rolls in between them to flatten it. And as you flatten it, it gets longer. And then as it gets longer, you got to wrap it up. So essentially they look like big rolls of toilet paper <laughs> that are taller than me and weigh 30 tons. So, okay. And, yep. <laughs> and when you say hot mill, we're, we're talking essentially about red hot steel doing this work. Correct. Yeah. Okay. So you have to heat it up to about like 2000 degrees. That's Fahrenheit really to be able to get it to do that. <laughs> okay. And it, yeah. Okay. So we don't have jobs like that anymore in the UK, really. I, I think we got rid of our last major steel mill. We like to joke on this podcast that Lewin is the posh, well-educated Southern one and I'm his Northern monkey sidekick. But essentially he and his kind broke our people in the North. They took away our manufacturing. They took away our hot mills. They took away our coal and our whippets and all of the things that made us, you know, Northern. I know Luna said that, you know, my PhD is in, in the humanities, but I think of the first pertinent question I would like to ask to, to reinforce that stereotype that Lewin's painted of me is, are you familiar with the, film Flashdance. I am not, actually. It is about a, a young lady who who is a welder by day, but wants to be a dancer by night. And having worked in a hot mill, I, I would, I were there any men or women there who were basically using the hot mill as a means to fund their ballet pretensions? Did you meet anyone who went on to perform professionally in a dancing capacity or did they just basically stay with the hot metal? <laughs> I don't think I met anybody like that, but, uh, <laughs> a lot of the a lot of the guys that I worked with, that's just what they did. They loved to do it. They knew their stuff. That's for sure. Like these guys that had been in the mill for 20, 25, some 30 years, man, did they know their job? Yeah. <laughs> they knew it well. And what you worked on the rigs for a bit. My dad worked on the on the oil rigs as a, a diver in the bad old days of the 70s and 80s when they used to put divers in the water and not actually bring them back. So so what was your what was your job on the rigs and did you enjoy it? So I was actually very lucky. I worked in Louisiana. And so most most interns don't go offshore to rigs. And so since I worked in Louisiana, there was a lot of rigs that are I mean, think like it's a couple feet deep, right? So mm. you have to take, you have to, I was in the, um, the service industry. So the service part of it. So what we would do is they would take all the drilling stuff out. We'd come with our equipment, put it down into the hole essentially. And as it comes back up, we're taking data and we can tell them what all the different layers are in the rock and the soil. Since I was in Louisiana, I would get to, you know, we'd drive onto the little tugboats, they'd push us out there. And then sometimes we'd be out, you know, at the rig for a couple of days. You weren't being taken out to the middle of the North Sea in a Force 9 in a helicopter with a pilot going, I'm not sure if we're going to make it. Start making a will. None of that. <laughs> yeah, definitely not like that. I loved, there are some rigs that were on land, but I loved going to the ones that were, you know, just on the water because those yeah. actually always had really good food. My father used to uh, rave about the fact that this was Britain in the 70s where we basically lived on boiled potatoes and, and watery stuff that they called mince and he, he could go offshore and get real steak. Uh, so he was always, you know, I think much happier offshore than he was onshore. To be slightly more 
serious and and not ask a question relating to you know welders who are welders by day but dancers by night or the oil rigs and their and their canteens. I think I'm right in saying, Luan, that you essentially started as a as a swimmer, very um, similarly to Alicia. What made you transition from swimming, pick up rowing? So I think for me, it was simple as I was kind of just done swimming. <laughs> it had been nine years. I was just like, do I want to do, you know, three times a week in the morning and every day in the evening? You know, do I want to do two a days every day for the rest of my life in college? Well, what felt like the rest of my life, you know, for college. <laughs> and the answer was just simply no. <laughs> and since I had had that friend come back from college and say, hey, like, my strength, especially my upper body really transferred well to rowing, like you should try it. And so that's kind of was my thinking was, okay, well, we'll go and try this. Cause I loved having a team team aspect, like working together. You know, I couldn't exactly, I didn't quite know the depth of it, you know, until I was in it and on the team. Uh, but I think that's, that's kind of what I heard is that, oh, you might be good at this and it's something different. So there's still water, kind of. I'm not in it, but <laughs> so. yeah, all, all, all that nice hydrodynamic streamlining that's just taken for you by the boat. Huh? You, you huh? had that change, and essentially, you, you rode competitively for four years. And then, when you came out of college, you, you didn't sort of feel the burning desire to keep rowing at that point. That was it. Was almost like competitive water rowing. You were done with it, or were you just somewhere where there was no water? I was, yeah, I loved rowing. I mean, even when I was done in college, I remember being really sad <laughs> that I was leaving it and wasn't going to be able to keep doing it. But yeah, where I was, there just wasn't a club that was close enough, like reasonably close enough. Yeah. And so, yeah, it wasn't really even an option. So that's kind of what stunk. So. Okay. It was kind of an enforced end to your rowing career rather than a conscious choice. Correct. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Can I just wind back, Lewin, and this is me displaying the, yet again the depths of my ignorance, but could you maybe just take us through a little bit the organization of rowing in the in the States? I know there are clubs based in cities, but a lot a lot of it is very heavily emphasized on the, the collegiate aspect of it, what you call college or we call university. And obviously we have university clubs here and we've got Oxford and Cambridge, which, you know, go back a long way. And we have Oxbrooks and, and you know, uh, places like Newcastle and Durham have got great programs as well, but it all kind of feeds into one system. So how does the college system work? I mean, do you do, do East, does East Coast race West Coast regularly? Is, is there the equivalent of a Oxford Cambridge boat race? How's it organized and how does it tie in with kind of wider rowing culture? It's the easiest place to start is there's club teams and then there's the like division one, division two, et cetera, teams. So I was on a club team. Purdue is club for both men and women. So most of the time we'd race other club teams. And so we'd go all over the country. Like we would go, our farthest race was actually in San Diego um, on the West coast, but then we'd also go East coast uh, for in South Carolina um, we went to Ohio. I think we, where else did we go? We just kind of go all over kind of where this, these different club meets are going to be. Um, our final race of the year, like the, the club nationals is called ACRAs and that's in Georgia, the, uh, the Olympics course that's down there. 
And so that, that's always fun to, to be able to go and race in that course. It's pretty cool. So, but then you do have the collegiate athletes. And so most of the time they kind of just race each other. So you're kind of in like separate worlds. Um, what's interesting though, is that, uh, you know, some women's teams, uh, at certain schools, like I think Michigan is a good example of where the women are, uh, collegiate like division one, but the men are club. So our men would race Michigan a lot, but we never did because they were always at different races. And so they are, they're kind of more separate, um, their men's team and their women's team, because one's collegiate and one's not. And then, but since our team was both of us were club, we shared the same space a lot. Like we would share the erg room or versus the weight room and things like that. So you kind of have two worlds of like club versus collegiate. And most of the time you kind of just race each other. There's, you know, some exceptions here and there, but for the most part, that's kind of how it goes. And so we were in that club world. So we mostly just raced club teams, but those are going to be, you know, different for like, you know, you're the ones you got to prepare to race or watch out for. And then the collegiate clubs are going to have, you know, their own. So it's kind of, that's the best way to, I think, think about it is you got two, two groups there and you kind of just race within your own so the real <laughs> distinction there's between collegiate, which we, we would call maybe university um, rowing teams or clubs and clubs, what we would just call rowing clubs. And it's almost a never the twain will meet sort of scenario. You, you, you race within your own kind of bubble within your own world. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's pretty much how it is. And then uh, I'm not as well versed in kind of the collegiate process, you know, cause we were mostly club, mm. um, but pretty much we would just be able to have a couple of races a year. Um, and then we'd have ACRAs at kind of the end of the year. That was like June, I think. So, so kind of your Henley would be, would be your, your ACRA races. You, you build towards it throughout the season. Then everyone comes together for that big meet at the end sort of thing. Yeah, there's that one at the end, but there's actually for us, our biggest one was Dad Vales. Because as a V8, if you won that race, you got like a trip to go to Henley. So that was that was kind of like our big thing was like, if you won, <laughs> then you got to, you know, make the big jump. <laughs> so that was that was the motivation for that one. So our biggest one was typically Vales, which is around the time that we had finals. Cause I would remember some people would have to take finals mm. while they were there. <laughs> so literally if you won that, you were allowed to go or somebody actually kind of stumped up the cash for you to go over there. I'd have to double check again. I can't remember. I can't remember if it was, you got an invite, but you still have to pay or if part of it was paid, I honestly can't remember. It's been so long. Okay. Because Loon and I have experience of American crews at, at Henley. Um, we were there the... <laughs> We were there the year, the year that Green Lake uh, decided to spend the entire summer in Britain collecting pots, and they and they ended up trouncing us down the Henley track, which was a very chastening experience. Um, so th so they've they'd obviously done fairly well in their home season to get over there. So well done them. To point out when Aaron says they trounced us down the track, it it makes it sound like at some point more than ten strokes into the race we might have been in with a chance. We won. It was 
<laughs> one of the most brutal losses I've ever experienced um, yeah. in rowing. But for those first um, ten strokes, we were we were very very competitive until we couldn't see them anymore. So, but that oh yeah, okay. starting five and high five, and then <laughs> yeah, basically, and then we just we just watched them go, and it's like oh god, at least it's Wednesday. There's not many people on the bank. Okay, so that helps me understand it a little bit better uh, in terms of the kind of the collegiate and club system, Lewin. When we spoke before, you you were sort of like very aware that when you made this move after rowing to marathon running, you'd gone from an athlete who always had a coach to just you were a working adult working it out for yourself. And I mean, if, if, if you can let us know a little bit about that tr- transition, because I think that's quite important to you, isn't it? It, de- it definitely was. And it was, it was tough. I would say it was definitely a transition, almost, almost like an, I don't want to say identity crisis, but <laughs> you might, some people might identify with that, that when you're so much of an athlete, like it's 20 hours a week, it's basically a part-time job <laughs> in college. And you're doing that. It's like part of who you are. And then again, because my stop in my career wasn't essential, wasn't really by choice. (laughs) It's kind of like, well, I want to still do this. I want to still be this now. What? (laughs) And so there was definitely that transition of, you know, cause a lot of us have almost like our identities. What do we say about ourselves when we introduce ourselves? Like I, I am this, I am that. And for me, it was like, I am a rower, but now it's like, well, shoot, I'm not doing that anymore. (laughs) So being okay, not being a rower and also just trying to stay active. Cause I, I loved, I love being active, definitely missed the community part of it. Um, because I was, you know, mostly working out by myself. And I think that's ultimately why, you know, I set the goal of the marathon. It was great to do it, to be able to, <laughs> to say I did it and it's done. And, but then I was really craving that community. And I think that's what led me to try CrossFit to mix it up, try something else. So there definitely was a while of just trying to be okay with not being a rower, you know, and just being a person who works out, who has their own fitness goals, you know, and it's okay that it's not rowing. And have you actually got to the point where you can now say, I'm okay with not being a rower? Yes. Okay. I am okay. If I never do a 2k, ever again. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, to be fair, Loon and I were saying that for most of our rowing careers. Well, okay, maybe more me than Loon. Loon is one of those weird people who actually still looks forward to doing 2Ks. Yeah. Um, I think we can definitely sympathize because, or, or if not sympathize, then empathize because it's something that Loon and I have talked about on the, on the podcast um, quite a lot. The funny thing about rowing is if you play football or squash or tennis or, or something else, you can have a, a game of five aside on a Wednesday, or you can compete in the local squash league on a, on a Thursday. And it's, it's a couple of hours out of your week, but we worked out that, you know, in, in winter, we were averaging about 24 hours a week training while also working full time. And when that goes, 
a huge amount of your self-identity and self and the way that you self-define also goes because you are a rower. What are you doing on Saturday? I'm I'm rowing. You know, it's it's your parents' wedding anniversary. Well, I'll come along after I've finished rowing. Where are we going on holiday holiday this year? Well, we can't book anywhere till after Henley because so we know what we're doing. I'm getting married. Will you be my best man? Well, yes, as long as it's after these dates because otherwise I'm rowing. You get so. I think the way we've described it is it's not a sport or a hobby. It's actually a lifestyle that you actively engage with. And when that goes, it does leave a big hole and trying to find things to replace that and replace what rowing gives you is, is it can feel like a, a mini identity crisis. Yeah, I definitely agree. I, <laughs> I feel like you pretty much kind of said it, right? You had all this time that you were rowing and now that time's, not there and it's like okay well what do i do now <laughs> yeah i'm a, i'm a you know, what, do, I, what do i do on saturday morning sleep in <laughs> yeah let me let me check the schedule i haven't got one because i'm not a rower anymore the coach hasn't sent me anything <laughs> yeah I don't know exactly what to do yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah you did you did the marathon which marathon did you do i we actually me and uh my husband, it was, it was two months before we got married. We did the Disney marathon, the Walt Disney World one. Is that the one where you have to dress up as a character for the full 26.2 miles? <laughs> you don't have to, but <laughs> there's actually characters along the way that you can stop and take pictures with. <laughs> so okay. you run through all whatever five parks or whatnot. Um, it was fun. It was definitely so, hang, really fun. Hang on, Disney World, this is Florida, not Disneyland in LA. Yeah. Okay. Correct. This is in Florida. So you run to Magic Kingdom, through it, to Animal Kingdom, et cetera, et cetera. So, yep, going through all the parks, that was the 26.2. There you go. There is is no, okay, that one I did not realize. There's no end to Disney. They've got marathons as well. They've got marathons sewn up. I mean, they're, you know, they're they're branding. They're in every market. They're in literally, it'll be rowing next. They'll be selling, you know, <laughs> Mickey Mouse all in ones, you know, wear Mickey as you, as you go down the, 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 the river. I have to say I've, I've rowed, I've rowed a marathon on the Erg uh, and also on the water and it was fine. I would not like to run one. Lewin, would you like to run one at any point soon? Um, it's never going to happen. My, you know, I'm, I used to be a 95 kilo athlete. I'm now slightly more than 95 kilo athlete. And it's just, <laughs> it's just not, it's not a feasible thing. I, I can imagine doing stuff like running 400s or something. Right. Like getting into that. But no, the idea of doing a marathon, I, I probably wanted to up until about the age of, 25 or something and then it was just not feasible oh i was gonna say i have actually rode a marathon i've done it twice so that was did, yeah on the I mean, rowing machine both okay. of them on the rowing machine how did you find it because i found that once you got into a groove after the first hour it was fine you just kind of kept going did you find yeah that? there's there so my first one <laughs> So we would do, we were used to like, you know, three by 30 minute pieces, you know, so about an hour and a half, you know, so I'd be like, oh, I'd be, I'd be great. And then hit that hour and a half. And it was like, <laughs> it was like this wall. And so, um, 
I also had the benefit of, so the reason we did these marathons was every, I think it's January, January, February, we would do a fundraiser. And so that was part of it where we'd have three hour shifts. We throw in the mall, actually the mall. So you have people walking around you. Right. And so instead of the three hour shift, you could choose to like row a marathon. And so first year I was actually injured and doomed on the bike. And so I, uh, got to witness the people who accidentally stood up in the middle of it and like could not sit back down to keep going because it just hurt too bad. So at least I knew don't stand up. (laughs) And then, so my first one kind of halfway through it was not fun. (laughs) So then I learned better for the next year to take a couple breaks before, you know, that hour and a half, you know, even 30, 45, you know, take breaks before then don't take my first break halfway through. <laughs> so I learned that the hard way. So the second one was definitely a little bit better. And, and, um, and did you get it done in three hours or? It was, I think it was somewhere around three. I know one of them was 319. I want to say for me or 312. It was somewhere around there. That, Somewhere between three ten right. and three twenty. Yeah, that's that's fast. That's like I can't remember what the split was, but <laughs> I'm just throwing this out here, Loon. But I, you know, this diet of yours that we've talked about recently, I think you should get back on it and just just run the marathon, man. If we can row it, a man of your immense athletic ability, I absolutely should try and row it at some point. That brings us to CrossFit. What was it about CrossFit that, I mean, because if there are two sports in the world that seem to absolutely suck people in and make sort of like take over a chunk of their lives, it is rowing and CrossFit. So what, what was it about CrossFit that drew you in? Well, so one of the big things was that community aspect. I know that's one thing that a lot of people you know, raved about, and I will, I will too. It's just the community aspect. And I was definitely looking for something, you know, more so of, you know, people who did do things outside of the gym, you know, and things like that, you know, ways to meet people and make friends actually through a gym. And so that's a big cultural part of it. Uh, but then also I am competitive. (laughs) So the, uh, yeah, yeah. Rower being competitive, surprise, surprise. And so (laughs) just the, just everything that it's about that and even getting into it and, you know, doing it for a couple of years, you can always get stronger, get faster, you know, um, get better, you know, technique wise, like there's always something to work on. There's like not really ever like a cap, which for some people that might sound like stressful, but for me, I'm like, that's great. (laughs) There's always something to work on. I love it. So I think that's kind of what drew me in. And after the marathon, yeah, my, I think my knees and my legs were kind of (laughs) just done of just doing the same thing. (laughs) So I like the variety and mixing it up. And I think honest, besides the, the named workouts that CrossFit has, I don't think I have repeated a workout in three years besides like the benchmark ones, you know, that everybody will do. If you've heard of like Fran Murph, like Mm. all those named ones, those benchmark workouts, I don't think I've repeated a single workout in three years. I'm sure Loon was about to leap in there, but I I need to dive in because one of the things about rowing is that it's, it's, 
you tend to do a lot of the same things. So you do a three by six K or you do a three by seven K or you do three by 30 minutes and you have a 30 minute rate 18, you know, uh, test, or you have your two K tests, or you, you have your pyramids or whatever. And there's a certain, it's Monday, it's 18 K day, you know, it's so you kind of know as a rower, isn't that slightly, Oh my God, they're not repeating anything. I have no landmarks to orientate from. Is that not slightly disorientating? So I, I, I can see what you're getting at. So there, but there is some repeatability. So for instance, I'll give you an example at my gym Mondays. We always, we start with front squats. So it's typically some form of squatting, whether it's back squats, front squats, so all the strength portion, and then the workouts are always kind of what vary. So we're still doing strength portions where, you know, we're progressively repeating front squats for like eight to 12 weeks, you know, to max out. And then our Wednesdays right now are power cleans and we're, you know, so that's very predictable. Um, as far as the workouts go, I don't know. It's kind of, it's kind of fun, right? So I'll, I'll put in rowing as an example, because CrossFit for one loves to pair rowing with either thrusters or wall balls there. I don't know why, but they just love it for some reason, but getting off the rowing machine and trying to do thrusters is going to be different than getting off the rowing machine and trying a deadlifts or getting off the rowing machine and trying to do more burpees, <laughs> you know? So what are you trying to get off and do next? And then even what are you doing before you get back on the rower? Like it's going to be a little bit different. So you're always kind of testing your body in different ways. And so I think rowers can get behind that, that you're kind of, you're testing yourself in all these different ways, whether it's with weight or with, or not, or a heavy barbell movement, then you got to get back on the rowing machine. You know, that's kind of where that differences come in of, there's still the, okay, here's another thing too. So you know how you all have your shorter workouts, like 250 meter pieces, 500 meter pieces, right? And then you kind of have your mid distance where it's, you know, maybe like the one to two K pieces, you know, and then the longer pieces that are longer than that. And CrossFit still has kind of those three categories where we'll have like longer AMRAPs, let's say like 20, 25 minute AMRAPs. Those are like your longer ones where you're not moving quite as fast. You have your middle your middle, uh, workouts that might last maybe like 10 to 15 minutes where you're pushing it a little bit harder. And then you have like your short sprint ones, maybe you have sprint and some rest. So like we incorporate all of those as well. And that's, I think what a lot of people actually don't know is that CrossFit does hit all of those categories, just like rowing does. So I guess in, in rowing, we've got it, you know, you've got your UT1, UT2, UT3, you know, AT, AN, you know, stuff. And and what you're basically doing each time you re you repeat a session, depending on the level of intensity that you're, you're working at, you're developing your capillary base or, or you are um, sharpening your, you know, your, as you go up the road, what we call the rowing pyramid, you're sharpening your sword for, racing and it's the it's the repeatability that means that, that you're constantly pushing your body to develop but with crossfit if i'm reading you right what you're doing is you're constantly shocking your body with new things so it's forced to adapt so it's it's a, it's a whereas rowing is kind of a progressive build through it this is a and now this and now this and it's forcing your body to adapt yeah pretty pretty much because i mean all of those 
you know, whereas in rowing where you'll test kind of like the 5k and the 2k, right. Are kind of like your two big ones, maybe 10 Ks, you know, depending, but kind of 5k and up similar ish enough, <laughs> you know, and 2k is obviously way different than 5k's, you know, in CrossFit, especially if you're going to like a competition, you know, you have those three categories, right. It could be any one, any one of those, it could be a 20 minute workout. It could be a six minute sprint. You could have, um, a heavy weightlifting complex an hour later, you're doing like a short sprint and an hour later you're doing like a longer 20 minute workout, you know? So if you do like to compete, you don't have to do that necessarily, but in CrossFit, it, that is kind of the thing is trying to almost like prepare for like the unexpected. So, <laughs> and for someone again, who's competitive, it's like, sometimes it's, Oh, like, what are the workouts going to be? You know, but then at the same time, it's like, Ooh, like, what are the workouts going to be? You know? So you can't really, uh, you can't really, it's, you can't really know sometimes even, even workouts that look not too bad. You do them and you're like, man, that was awful. <laughs> and it could look awful. And then it's like, Oh, that wasn't as bad as I thought. It's crazy. <laughs> can, I, can I just ask, cause this, this was something because you're a rower, you started doing CrossFit. Whenever I've done CrossFit and I've done CrossFit workouts, I nearly always put everything I'm doing into kind of the effort band of what I would do on a rowing machine. So, so it's just like, essentially, I'm going to ask, the, the, the first question I, I've always asked about, so about this exercise is, how long do you think this is going to take? And then you just sort of dial in that amount of pain that you think you can handle for a rowing Is that something you do? Yeah, pretty much. That's kind of what you do is, you know, I mean, at least when we're coaching and, and the, the every day, and you, you can kind of get a gist even when you're competing. If there's a six-minute time cap versus a 12-minute time cap versus it's a 20-minute AMRAP, you're going to kind of have an idea of how fast you're kind of going to be expected to go and how hard it's going to be expected to push. And yeah, it's, it is the same thing kind of with rowing where, um, even when I'm rowing in my CrossFit workouts, you know, if it's a little bit longer, you know, hold back a little, you know, not necessarily hold back, but you know, you're not all out sprinting versus I know if I only got like 10 calories, that's going to take me 30, 40 seconds. Like, yeah, I'm just going to go. Like, <laughs> so it, there is kind of that, effort spectrum. And, um, you know, you talked about like the UT one, UT two, AT, VO two, you know, we, we kind of do do those, um, those different zones, right. That's kind of what you do. We're having those different, those different buckets kind of hit those different zones, but you're just doing different kind of workouts to again, different movements and things like, you know, box jumps versus, you know, other things get your heart rate up more than others. And so sometimes even as a coach and building workouts, it's kind of fun. Cause you're like, Ooh, like, what is this going to do? And how is this going to make them feel? And then <laughs> it's just, it's fun <laughs> and doing them too. And, and what do you think rowers and kind of specific indoor rowers can gain from trying CrossFit what, or, or doing CrossFit full stop? What, what is the, what's the selling point? So I think the selling point for rowers is getting your body to do other movements. So I'll give you kind of an example here where I know just 
when I started CrossFit, I mean, granted I was running a lot, but I still had some of my strength and muscle from like my indoor rowing, but my pushups were abysmal. <laughs> they were bad <laughs> because I never did that movement. I never did the pushing, you know, it's always pulling. So getting your body, that's just one example of getting your body to like move in different ways is going to be good for you. One to help you strengthen in different ways. So then it also can help prevent you from being injured or potential overuse injury, you know, from constantly rowing, but also teaching you, you know, in squats and in other movements, just for an example, like learning how to, how to brace, you know, especially even in like deadlifts, but when you go to lift the barbell, you know, you want to brace with those lats, do the same thing at the catch in the rowing stroke. So being an indoor rowing instructor and having that knowledge, I like to use, especially when I'm trying to coach CrossFitters on rowing, I'll relate things to movements that we do in CrossFit just because like, that's the knowledge that they have. So that's, that's an example of even how your rowing knowledge could translate to like some of the lifting, but also as a coach, how I can help CrossFitters with their rowing by relating the movements that we already do. But that's what I would say is the biggest thing for rowers is moving your body differently so that you get stronger in different ways. And it probably would help you get injured less from the rowing that you do. We're coming at this from the point of view of rowing, but conversely, do you think it would actually help crossfitters to learn like water rowing? With, with... I think it would. Okay. Because yes. So the one thing that CrossFit does lack in the rowing terms is that most rowing is like short. Most, okay. most workouts with rowing, it's like one to two minutes. And so most of the rowing is that higher pace, the workout, you know, it might be a 20 minute AMRAP, but the part that's rowing might only be a minute or two. Okay. And so no one really knows how to take the long and slow. Like nobody knows how to slow down to a 24 even, <laughs> you know, yeah. like everybody's at like a 28 and up, like just right, just going for it. And so, um, I think crossfitters can benefit from rowers because just, I like to relate it to like the PVC movement. Like when we start weightlifting, we start with the PVC just cause it's light helps get you in those reps at low weight. That's kind of what the distance rowing is. It's like the PVC movement of rowing <laughs> to get the strokes in, kind of figure it out. And so that's definitely what CrossFit lacks in regards to like rowing. We just don't do much longer rowing in CrossFit really at all. So, but even, but going on the water, that's, that's another aspect of it. When you're on the water, you realize what you can't do because <laughs> it's not efficient. And so, right, right. And so when you jostle the boat, you, you feel it. And when you're on the rowing machine and you do something that's not exactly good technique, you know, it takes a little bit more convincing <laughs> to yeah. be like, no, it's better to do it this way. But when you're in a boat, it's quite obvious that it's not the right way to do it. <laughs> yeah. So. It, it lets you know, doesn't it? it yeah, the uh, feedback, yes. the yes. feedback's so. pretty instantaneous from the boat. If it's, if it's bad. Definitely. So that's, that, that's what I would say is 
CrossFit could benefit from the long, low rows and the feedback that the boat gives. Uh, we talked um, a little while ago with uh, the now ex-Leander coach, Jez Moore, and, and he he looked at he was looking at British rowing from a high performance perspective. And we've on, until this last Olympic cycle, we've been very, very successful. And he he's pointed out the way that we've done it is we've kind of we've we've maxed out the effort lever. Um, and that filters down to the the club system in as much as we ended up doing such a high volume of training because that's that's what the the red graves and pincents of this world were doing so we we try to fit in as much as possible we probably weren't as efficient as them in terms of training to heart rate bands and and that sort of thing but jez's point was that we've maxed out the effort lever and he had a theory that if if we if we gave him a group of athletes he, and we took a group of athletes and our group trained in a traditional rowing way, which is, you know, um, high volume, lots of low intensity stuff, you know, 24, 26 hours a week, basic crew boat rowing. He would give them four sessions, two of which would be on the water, one of which would be a 45 minute run that they could do by themselves. And one of it would be some form of weights or boxing circuit. And I think his point was that the athletic mindset is a competitive problem-solving one, whereas with rowing, we tend to solve problems by going, work is good, therefore more work is better. And what you're advocating is this, this flexible, ever-changing, ever-challenging approach actually improves you a lot faster than maybe just doing the grind of you know, 21Ks and 18Ks forever. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that is kind of what I'm saying. You know, there's different kinds of workouts. Well, one, not every workout needs to leave you on the ground. You know, you can't get up for like five minutes. <laughs> not every workout needs to be like that, but you know, training just different modes, I guess we could say, you know, we talked about the short, the medium and the long, but training those different modes, um, just hit your, like hit your body in different ways. And so you're kind of getting fitness over that whole spectrum. And I, I, I do agree though, that with rowing the long and the slow still that helps build such a good base. So I'm definitely, I'm not saying that you should not do that because it's definitely good to have that long and low slow base, but just having those, I think that it doesn't always need to be 30. It doesn't need to be even 60 minutes. You know, if, you got, if you got 20, 30 minutes to get something in, you can be efficient about it. You can go, you can do it. And like, you're going to be good. You know, if it, you might not be wanting to even be, you know, someone who, um, competes or goes on the, goes on the water or anything like that. But just for kind of the, we call gen pop, that's just the general population who wants to work out, but they like rowing you know, they don't necessarily need, you know, the, the 10 Ks, the 15 Ks days, you know, if they like that, then by all means do it. <laughs> but if it's not, if it's not your piece of cake, then that's, that's okay too. So. Yeah. I, I think that's what, I mean, what I was kind of uh, leading towards was that we've had a, since the Rio Olympics, we've had a real drop off in the terms of, um, in terms of participation numbers in the, in, in water rowing in Britain, whereas indoor rowing has really started to kind of take off and looking at Jez's kind of philosophy, um, you know, one of the things that's come out of, of the people that we've talked to and, and, the, and kind of the data that we've crunched is that you can row crew, you can, uh, you can row at university when it's basically rowing and 
and studying and then you get your first job and you can kind of keep it up for a bit and then you're building your career and then maybe you get married or you have children or you settle down and rowing when it when it demands so much time something has to give but if you could take out some of that high volume 20 plus hours a week thing and, and take Jez's model of four sessions a week two of them will be on the water and let's go and hit a, a CrossFit gym and it's going to improve you just as much as if you'd sat on an erg for 90 minutes, then that actually suddenly makes the week look a lot more manageable in terms of training. Lewin, would you say that would, would be a fair? I mean, yeah, from my, from my point of view, I, I think that it's like one of the biggest things that we're missing in, um, in, U, in, in, in rowing in the UK is that we don't have a a smaller distance to race over i mean we we do have a lot of regattas that are um 750 meters to 1250 meters but it's always considered that's the lesser option and it would be really really nice if there was i mean it might be like you were saying from my understanding of like the club and division one and division two system, there's a club championships in the U S and we don't really have a club championship anymore. There, there is no championship that you can go to where you're not going to be up against the, the full on elongated aerobic monsters who have got 30 hours a week just to spend on training. Um, and kind of like a shorter distance where you could get away with without doing the daily kind of 90 minutes at 70% of max heart rate, I, I, I think would be, I think that would be a brilliant thing personally, but yeah, I think we're missing it in this country. I think, I think we are missing it in the, and, and I, I also think, but there's a certain conservatism in rowing in the UK because it has such long historical antecedents because it there's a lot of class-based things around the organization of the sport in this country and there's a lot of conservatism in this is how we train because this is how we've always trained and we've been successful with it but I think ideas like yours of you know go and check out a CrossFit gym go and go and don't do a, a 90 minutes go and do a something else is refreshing because because change is stimulus and stimulus promotes growth and growth promotes in, increased performance in the long term. Yeah, definitely. That's that's kind of the CrossFit motto. <laughs> yeah, the biggest sentence that you just said. I mean, you're always you know challenging your body with different stimulus and yeah, just leads to improvement in that way. So definitely agree. I know. Um, so when I talked about the club versus collegiate, that was kind of more so college, and I know after there's there are masters programs and i believe because i only rode with a master's team for about two months before the pandemic hit so wasn't on there did, didn't do that for a lot once i moved and so then uh when, when i moved to michigan where i am now and so wasn't on there for too long but i believe there's like a master's nationals where it's mostly for people who are college age, who graduated college and up, they'll have different age brackets, but then there's different, there's a, I think there is a rowing nationals solely for masters. So even in the U S kind of the, the college kids kind of do their own thing. <laughs> and then once you're, once you're 
above that age, then there's uh, more like masters is kind of then okay. even almost separate of itself too. <laughs> so you mentioned the, the pandemic. So I mean, presumably you were sort of like having a crack at at the water running again just before then. From when we spoke before, that kind of seemed to really change everything for you. So do you want to just take us through that and how that's led to you becoming essentially a full-time coach and independent businesswoman, essentially? Yeah, definitely. So before the pandemic, I was still working as that quality engineer at that steel mill. And so when the pandemic hit, it wasn't because of the pandemic, but the plant where I was working got shut down. Uh, when the pandemic hit, I just got laid off like a month earlier than I would have. So it was going to happen regardless of if the pandemic had happened or not. <laughs> so then when I was laid off from that job, had kind of a I guess the easiest way to describe it is like a severance package of sorts, I guess you could say. And so had some time to be able to, I already started my rowing blog, but then that's kind of when I went full into working on that more, kind of making more content, things like that, trying to build up um, just the coaching part of it. And I knew before the pandemic hit that I wanted to start to become a coach, but then pandemic hit those things you know, happened. And so that kind of got stalled. But then when gym started to open up back here, the gym that I had been going to actually had to close. So then when I was looking for a new gym, I looked for one that had a coaching opening. And so that's what I did. I went in and, you know, talked to them, said, hi, <laughs> I definitely did not submit my resume because they would have looked at that, seen all the engineering and been like, who is this girl? So I <laughs> went in to talk to them instead of sending in my resume, which was great. Um, so I'm still there and started coaching there, got um, my indoor rowing coaching certification through You Can Row 2 around that same time. And so through that, I've just been building my online coaching business while also uh, coaching classes at the CrossFit gym where I coach, which is CrossFit Taneo in uh, Macomb, Michigan. And so I coach in person there, also do some personal training. And then I have the online business um, where I'm helping mostly with indoor rowing, but I also do like coaching kind of indoor rowing with other movements, strength movements, kind of that like CrossFit style, um, mixing in rowing with other movements too, and strength training and those types of things. So that's kind of how that transition happened. Can I, can I just sort of skip back to you got your uh, instructor qualification on the rowing machines from you can row two now they i've just been aware of them are, they're a u.s company are they correct yes okay because okay I, I i thought they were based in west london or something like that um so could you <laughs> yeah could, could you educate me a little bit about who they are and what they do Definitely. Um, I'm actually also one of their ambassadors. And so what you can row to does is they do a couple different things. So they do online and also they're start, just starting to start back up the in-person certification. So teaching coaches how to coach indoor rowing. Mm -hmm. And so 
I took that certification weekend, and then after that weekend, uh, you have about six months to kind of learn the material, practice it, and then submit a certification video to cool. that they will then watch, give you feedback, and kind of determine if you passed. And there's also a test and, and things like that. And so they do that, but they also provide um, different rowing programs. They're really known for the, also their on and off erg workouts and things like yeah. that. Um, I know the owner, the owner, Sarah, really well. She's been really great to work with. Um, and all the master instructors, too, that they have, they just have a lot of knowledge. A lot of them are or have been on the water rowers uh, for lots and lots of years. And so that's kind of what they do. A lot of um, this do have some programs, but then also kind of coaching coaches. You don't have to be a coach to take their certification weekend by any means. Um, but if you want to become a rowing coach, or if you are a coach that wants that rowing knowledge, then they uh, provide those certification weekends. I'm, I'm a little bit worried now because techni technically I am a qualified indoor rowing coach, but it, it was like a four-hour thing in the afternoon um, down in London Docklands. Um, so I'm, ju I'm just thinking... So, I mean, can, can you just, like, obviously, it's like don't give us the whole course, but, but what, how do you, how do you take the whole thing into a weekend course, as opposed to just kind of like, there is a rowing machine, you put your feet here, this is how you adjust the, the damper, pull hard. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. That, <laughs> that, that sounds like the Lewin that I know and love and remember. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like a lot of people... <laughs> Some uh, CrossFit trainers too. It's like, oh, you just get on and you pull. It's mm. like, oh, geez. All right. So, <laughs> um, how it works is the I took the online version uh, since it was uh, we were in pandemic style, and so it was four hours on one day, and that first day is uh, typically like learning how to row yourself, and then the second day is taking that knowledge, and now we're learning how to coach it. So it's four hours on Saturday, four hours on Sunday. That's what I did. So first day is pretty much them teaching you how to row. But they also have breakout sessions with the master instructors, which is really cool. So you go into a separate Zoom room where there's a master instructor and they have probably about five or six people. And so on day one in your breakout session, you'll row and people will give you feedback on your rowing. Um, and then on day two, in your breakout session, I think we were given, each breakout room was given a different drill. So I think I had the pick drill, if I remember correctly. So then you take like three to five minutes and you're coaching the pick drill. And then people give you feedback on your coaching of it. So that's kind of day one is learning how to, day two is then how to coach it. That does actually sound pretty intense, to be honest. It's like, yeah. Yeah. And, then, and then afterwards you have the six months to put together like a certification video. And I think mine was like, when I put all the clips together, it was like about 20 minutes long. So okay. there is quite a few topics as far as, you know, even just, um, what is the damper setting? What does it do? And why we don't want to just have it at 10. Yeah. <laughs> but with all you CrossFit 10, people out there. Surely you just surely. Get on and you put it at 10. That's the whole point of having <laughs> That's it goes always the 10. answer. So, um, yeah, I mean, stuff like that to, 
I mean, it's been a while now since I've, you know, submitted my certification video, but just going over the drills, just everything that you're looking for, different cues that you can give for this or that, or, you know, if their knees are coming up early or if their butt shooting back at the catch, you know, just different ways that you would coach different flaws and, and, and things like that. So, um, yeah. yeah. So you see, Lewin, you can't just sit them down and go, right now, pull. You, you might have to give some pointers. You're a qualified teacher as well, honestly. <laughs> People have, have been saying my, my coaching at Spitfire Boat Club has been very, very informative, albeit slightly didactic. And uh, yeah, I, 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 have it, I have in fact invented a, a new form of rowing, which is enclosures rowing, which, and the, the idea is that you've basically just won your race at Henley and <laughs> but you've won it in the first half you've absolutely destroyed the other crew you've got 10 lengths on them and but you're coming through the enclosures and you can't just row it slowly because then your muscles aren't going to stand out so what you have to do <laughs> you have to look really relaxed but you've got to pull hard enough to make make the muscles in your arms stand out so you can look good for everybody in the enclosure. That's such and, a guy thing. And the thing but the thing is, it does actually encourage people to do that kind of like shove and then just glide back up the side. Shove and spring and glide back up the side. So I'm, I'm not totally hopeless when it, I don't just sit there and scream at people, pull harder. Right. Uh, and I've done I've done things where I've noticed the, the the ten stroke pushes have been getting a little ragged towards the end. So we've just done five stroke pushes. I can do nuance. This is important that people understand it. Right. Okay. You can do nuance. The fact it's that happened. the fact that it it goes hello and welcome to the gun show at the same time is entirely coincidental. Entirely. Completely. Everybody has their own motivation, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Basically. Um, yes. So, I mean, this is, this is actually something that, you know, we really need to talk about in, in the pod because it's, it seems like it's a big part of what you're doing and sort of like as a coach and I would, I would say that I'm completely failing to properly transition from being an athlete to being coach. You seem as though you, you're very comfortable with that. Yeah, I, I'd say it probably was, I mean, don't get me wrong. When I first started coaching, I talked like this and I was like a little mouse and didn't quite know like how loud to be. I mean, <laughs> I had that, don't worry. <laughs> so God bless, you know, I, I remember the first two women who were in the class where I coached the whole thing. God bless them. They were awesome. And so, you know, that confidence does come, but I think it, I just, I love helping people. And for one with the rowing, like, I'm confident that I know what I know in that for sure. And so yeah. finding that confidence and, and learning, and I have really good mentors and, and even coaches for myself at the gym and like other movements. So being able to find the confidence that I had in like correcting someone's rowing, just trying to find that confidence in other movements. Um, that's really kind of all that it was, was I knew that I, 
you know, if someone's sitting there and they're leaning back at the catch, it's like, okay, okay, hold on. I know we need to, we need to work on this. <laughs> so just being able to have that confidence and learning in the other movements and kind of getting that coach's eye of seeing the faults being able to give cues to people to help them and different cues work for different people. So it's always an ongoing learning process, but I think having the confidence in that in the rowing part helped me to build confidence in the other movements and other areas, maybe a little bit quicker. Cool. And with your coaching, I mean, you're obviously doing like the, the real life coaching at your CrossFit box, but you've also got like the specific online um, coaching and, and, and we'll have to link to your Instagram feed, which has got some genuinely classic videos on it. They're, they're really kind of cool. And uh, I, I should kind of like find out how you, you are so good at conveying that much information in, in less than 20 seconds. It, it's really impressive. But Thank you. you are, <laughs> But you're focusing a lot on, it seems, women's physical development. And am I right in saying through that, that kind of personal development almost? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. So we've, during the pandemic, and I'm sure you probably noticed when Concept2 had the wait list that was six months long for a new machine. And so you know, everybody was kind of looking for like the next thing and it's, it's still going. I still let, uh, still meet new people and see women every day who are like getting rowing machines and they're like, okay, what do I do? You know, and how do I do this? And, um, I've seen, cause with women, it might be a little bit different. There's not as much of, I mean, I'm a competitive one. So I'm always, you know, how do I get faster? How do I get stronger? For some women and a lot of them, it's not that way. It's just, I just want to get a good workout. I want to stay active, you know, maybe lose some weight. That's kind of where they're at. They love that rowing slow impact, you know? So for those who maybe have ran in the past and maybe it's just not their thing, you know, their knees and their ankles hurt. <laughs> we talked about those mm -hmm. hurting earlier. Um, that rowing is a great lower impact option. And so we've, I've seen with women too, it's, it's tough. Um, you know, even just learning what a split is. Even I have to watch myself that like, not everybody knows what a split is, you know? And so trying to remember that, um, and still be welcoming and have this welcoming language of, oh, right. That I got to remember that not everybody knows what a split is. And so even just going through like what's on your monitor, you know, just even those, basic things that, um, might seem basic to us, but if you've never sat on a rowing machine before and you take out this concept to monitor and you got all these numbers in your face, <laughs> it's like, Oh man, what, what is this telling me? <laughs> and, so, yeah. And, and yeah, like the slightly weird thing, the, I mean, it, my kids play on the rowing machine sometimes and they still haven't quite got the, the big number the really important number when you work harder, that gets smaller. That, that is that I think that's genuinely a, a slightly, I mean, that, that was possibly a screw up by concept two when they, when they went for that. Um, right. And that's the number that as rowers, we're all used to. Yeah. But then 
for me, when I start thinking of, cause sometimes it is hard for people to conceptualize that. So then it's like, okay, switch it to Watts yep. numbers higher. You're getting more power. And so then that might be easier for them at least to start. If they're like, what's this two, what's this three Oh five. I don't know what that means, you know, but if it's okay, switch it to Watts higher number, more power. Cause most people, most people know that a watt is a form of power. So if you push harder, you're putting more effort into the machine, that number is going to go up. So for some, it might be doing workouts, at least starting on Watts or even calories per hour that goes up as it, as you're doing more. Yep. So even starting them on that instead of the, uh, you know, pace per fiber meters or your split, that can be better for some people, at least conceptually at first before diving into <laughs> split and how it goes down. Yeah. It's, it's finding out what, what works for the individual and what they respond to and what they, and what resonates with them. And, and it's also that thing of, um, you know, as, as we get older, I would like to think it gets easier to start something new. You know, if I wanted to go and learn to salsa dance not that i'm suggesting that i'm about to because as we've pointed out none of us have ankles that work anymore but i would just go and find a salsa dancing class and go for it but it would still be a new world with new jargon and new things to learn and we forget as rowers because we spend so much time doing it that this is your split and this is this is what a catch looks like or should look like and this is what the finish looks like and you know all of this stuff that we take for granted at one point we had to learn and part of what you're trying to do as a coach is stop making it like there's some big scary gatekeeper and there's a portal and there's a secret password that you have to get through. It's like, just come in and let's, let's start. Yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I don't think I could have said it any better. Loon and I have, have experience of the big scary portal with gatekeepers when it comes to rowing. Mine was called Dennis O'Neill and he was in Scott, uh, um, who made me do a 2K as my entry into rowing because I'd seen Redgrave win his fifth. And Lewin had to go to his first boathouse three times, um, knock three times, repeat a password, walk backwards around a field and sacrifice a dead cat. Was it something like that, Lewin? Um, right up until the cat, you're about right. Um, it, it, it's one of the things I've described rowing as it's the Judaism of sport. They make you knock three times before you're allowed in. You know, people talk about, oh, we need to grow the sport. And I, I know that there are some programs in the U.S. that are closing down and everything like that. It's like, okay, if you want to grow the sport, don't make it difficult for people to come to you. And don't, and it doesn't matter what level they're at or what their experience is. So if, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, at a rowing club and it says, well, I've done a bit of indoor rowing in the gym. So I don't do the thing that pretty much I got. So my, I reckon you think it's going to be easy do you. And that, that kind of thing pretty much washes over me. And, and if it registers, I just see it's a challenge, but I also accept I'm fairly strange like that. Making it easy for people to make the first step, I think is incredibly yeah. important. I think British rowing could, you know, don't make it your secret thing that's that's yours and yours alone, and and you know that you it, it's like Gollum and the Ring. You can't you can't share it. The more people who share it, the better our sport becomes. And sometimes we're we're not very good at that in this country. I definitely I definitely agree that that's I think a way that people who row on the water, you know, if someone you know were to come in like, oh, I've done a bit of indoor rowing, 
to not try to scare them away because <laughs> I'm sure if you start throwing all the jargon or all the this or the that, they're going to be like, oh man, I don't know what I just walked into. <laughs> but I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, some of these, some of these people are, you know, if they're, you know, competitive like me and they start into rowing, they're like, oh, this is kind of cool. This is fun. I see that they do this like on the water. Is that, is, can I try that? You know? And so just being open to, you know, people who come in, they might not even have like the best technique, depending on the help that they've gotten with their indoor rowing, depending, but just being open to, I think, helping them and helping them learn and not, you know, being judgmental about where they're at or what they know. I mean, the fact that they're there, I think says a lot. That probably takes a lot for them to just walk through the door. (laughs) So the fact that they walk through the door, you know, that's, that's huge. So. You've kind of really got a handle on the online stuff as well, because obviously, you know, you've got the Instagram page, which is brilliant. And you've got all the videos, um, which I would recommend to anyone, but you've also started up something on Facebook. So you've got your own indoor rowing group for women and I'm already saying you've got like 2,000 members on that. Yeah, we're up to about it's about 2.6 now. So, so yeah, so that's that's that that's where I was mentioned before about just I mean it's like a daily basis where I'm seeing women request in that oh just bought a rowing machine or it's on the way and how do I do this and um, so that group has been. So awesome because I know I moderate it. I know it's quote unquote my group, but man, like I just have to give a shout out to these ladies because they're, they're the the reason it is how it is, you know? And so, I mean, even, even just earlier today, you know, we, there's a post posted a picture of her screen. It was like, is my first row ever? Like, how did I do, you know? And so just every single comment was just like, it's like, you did it. Like, that's your starting point. Like, great job. Like, you know, like it doesn't even matter what the split was. It's just like, you did it. You got on it. Like you tried something new, you posted about it in the group, you know, um, just being able to see them support each other and just be excited about everyday rows and getting all in on these challenges and things. It's just, it's super cool to see them, support each other. And some are competitive with always trying to get better or faster splits and some just row. And it's like, here was my, you know, 15, 20 minute workout today, or, you know, here was my 5k for today. And so I think it's just really cool to see them support and cheer on each other just in a great community and way to do it. I just, I love them. <laughs> so, it, it, it's a women-only group, basically. And yes. What, what is it that that women-only space can provide for women's kind of like physical development and development in the sport? And also, what as male rowers and male coaches can we take from that? How, how do we learn to provide that same benefit? Okay. So 
I think having that space with just women, I know it helps them. And this is not anything that I think the guys can help because like your splits are, are what they are. Mm-hmm. But I know that, and you, you might be able to agree with me that rowing probably is a little bit more male dominated, you know, than females. I don't know if you in, agree in with that. The UK, yeah, there's, there's no two ways. Absolutely. Okay. So, but even in other Facebook groups, it's tough for these women to see, especially splits that are for the guys are mostly in the ones, you know, yeah. it's ones for women. It can be three something it can be you know high twos you know so it's hard to see a number that's half yours and be like oh i don't want to post my times (laughs) um and that's not anything that that's tough because i'm not quite sure how as men that you can i guess quote unquote fix that um i know as women too if they want to post like progress pictures, you know, and and things like that, they're like, look how far I've come, you know, just, they're just more comfortable doing that when they know that there's only women in the space because that fear of being judged or, you know, if it's going to be a comment, that's anything, but, oh my gosh, you rock, you know? And so there's, I can see like with there being only women, a little more open to doing things like that. I mean, how male coaches can kind of help their women rowers. Um, that That's tough. I think women are motivated differently than men. I mean, depending on where this rower is coming from, you know, if they're just doing it for fitness, it's realizing that they're just doing it for fitness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, they might want to make sure they're not screwing up the boat by any means. But if you're like, pull harder, pull harder, pull harder, they're like, I'm just here. <laughs> so, you know, it kind of depends on uh, even what this individual's goal is. Cause I mean, if they're, if they're more competitive and they want to get faster, you know, then that's going to be different to, to motivate them in different ways. Um, but that's tough. I think just as male coaches, it's just trying to be supportive and getting to know your athlete and knowing what motivates them and what you can push them on, like almost like kind of finding out what their why is. And that's going to be different, you know, for even for all the men that you coach, you know? So I think for a lot of the general population women, it's just trying to be encouraging. Just the fact that you got on, you did it is like the encouragement that they need is kind of what I've seen. And so that's what I've seen. And that's kind of what I try to be, try to create that space where for those who want to get better and, you know, want to get like a faster split. Great. Like you go for that. But if you're here to just row, you just want to get some meters in, you don't even care about doing high intensity things. Cause you're never going to want to do a race ever. That's okay too. You know, we kind of got all these camps and it's okay no matter what camp you're in. So it, I don't know it, if that answered the question, but <laughs> it felt like yeah, part I mean, rambling, part answering the question. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it did. It sounded like what you're saying is, listen, we're, 
you know, we and I as a group are here to support you, but you are doing this for you. So you, you, you're, you choose what you want to do. Don't compare yourself to other people and don't let yourself be judged by other people because they're on a different journey. This is all about your journey. That Would that be fair? Yes. Yes, definitely. I would definitely agree with that. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. So again, it's like that, that thing of like really driving into an individual what their motivation is, how they're feeling about this and what works for them. Okay. I mean, and, I mean, also th this is again, something, you know, as, as we've kind of discussed, I have this natural sort of tendency to, Oh, here's a thing I can do now. How do I do it harder and faster until something breaks? Um, <laughs> It seems like you've always been a very, very sporty person, but you've made that transition to say, right, how do I speak to everyone else in the world who's not necessarily spent nine years as a competitive swimmer and four years as a rower and when she stopped rowing saying, I know what I'll do, I'll go and run for 24 miles as fast as I can. Um, I mean, is, is, is it literally just the same? kind of like process of just like getting outside your own head and saying not everyone is like you. It definitely is. And in the beginning it was, it was, you know, the first couple times that someone's like, what's a split? It's like, Oh, right. Like, <laughs> you know, so it has been a process for me. Even when I started to coach just to, to realize that, yeah, not everybody's like me who always wants to go harder, faster, stronger, more, 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 you know, that, that's what's been so great about the group too, is that I've been able to see just these, you can, you can tell when they write their posts kind of, you know, what they might be asking or kind of what they're, you know, like, Oh, Hey, I, I just, I did it, you know, versus, Oh, I got faster today. You can, you can kind of tell based on what they're writing in their posts. Like if they just care if they did it or if they like love that they got faster, you know? So, but being able to learn and kind of realize the different motivations that different types of women have has been eye-opening for me too. And I think it's helped me grow as a coach because there are going to be different ways that you, again, if you were to, to coach that athlete, there's going to be different ways that you would want to help them or help, you know, help them fix this or fix that, you know, motivation for fixing this technique flaw on you might be to get faster. The motivation for person B might be to be safer, Yeah. you know? So, <laughs> right. It depends. And so being able to learn and see that not everybody is like me. One is refreshing. <laughs> and so just to be able to learn about all these different personalities and motivations and what all these women are striving for. As someone who is basically fundamentally embedded in the kind of online fitness industry, you're actually quite a refreshing presence in, I mean, particularly on Instagram, which is, uh, kind of like a big website dedicated to advertising the value of steroids basically as far as i'm concerned you you present yourself as athletic sporty but fundamentally human 
unenhanced and a very approachable kind of like yeah just a human presence there and there is a huge amount on social media instagram obviously but i i think tiktok and snapchat are appalling as well i i i don't know that certain i'm not on them because i'm just too old and i don't know if i i'd probably get arrested or banned from teaching if i went on tiktok um but how 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 do you you know how do you deal with the kind of pressure to follow that sort of bodybuilding paradigm that there seems to be out there that sort of like ever more buff ever more ripped um ever more aesthetic side of things i mean that's definitely out there for sure um i think honestly what's helped me almost not even speak that language is being in crossfit too because it's we're all about that it is for everybody and so it's it's kind of relating back to that but um for those who aren't in crossfit you know when you have a workout we're always scaling it to try to make like the best workout for that person so it's going to look different whether if you have pull-ups okay if you need to do banded pull-ups or if you got to do uh if you're really good and you want to do chest bars you know so you're going up you're going down depending on the person's skill level and so it's all about more so yes getting stronger and and looking the part is there but in a crossfit it's almost like people would rather get stronger than like look a certain way <laughs> yeah and so um so i think just i just choose not to it's just an act of choice of not being the you know, oh, do you want to lose 10 pounds in 6 weeks or oh, do you want to, you know, get the bikini body or whatever. I just actively choose not to speak like that. Um or caption or type or however you want to <laughs> you want to say that. But uh I think just when I am making my posts, I don't want to, you know, be like that. I want it to be more about like feeling healthy because you know feeling healthy is going to look and feel different to everybody i was based on what you have going on because a, a parent with a newborn healthy is going to look different <laughs> than you know somebody who you know maybe is an empty nester or someone who doesn't doesn't have kids you know trying to how do we how do we feel better how do we move better you know how do we just I mean getting stronger helps you in in so many different ways but being so being that fitness that fitness area being a coach I just truly believe how getting stronger and getting healthier helps you and helps your life energy wise I mean sure weight loss can be a side effect but focusing on the weight loss can just be so draining <laughs> just so like it's a number that you look at every day and it's just like oh it's go so slow <laughs> so yes and it just can be so defeating but there's so many other things besides the number on the scale that you can go off of there's how do you feel how are you sleeping how much energy do you have um there's just so much more out there that you can deter or even work on or habits or there's just so much more to i'm losing my words but it's like yeah, yeah no it's you know 
There's more ways to measure ourselves than what we can see on Instagram and Chris Hemsworth promising you a body like Thor if you only sign up for his program or if you're a lady with whatever the lady equivalent is. There there are more ways to measure ourselves and bring value to ourselves than numbers on a scale or or the the amount that we're lifting or the amount of reps that we've done or the amount of distance that we've covered in, in a week. And that's what you're promoting. It's a it's a 360 degree view of the person rather than the very, very narrow, fine slice that is athletic attainment or steroid induced attainment in the case. of Yeah. Or how, yeah. How you look in a picture or that, yeah, your value isn't reduced to the number that's on the scale, Hmm. you know? So it's definitely a tough one to, you know, navigate and try not to hop on that bandwagon. Cause I know at some point that that's what sells sometimes. And that's aggravating (laughs) to Mm -hmm. me because it's like, man, you know, I don't want people to be sucked in because they said, they told you like, you're going to look this way and you're going to do like lose 10 pounds if you do X, Y, Z and, um, and things like that. So I think just choosing to go against the grain, it's an active choice that you just got to keep going with. And it's because I believe there's a better way of going about it than, you know, the number on the scale might change when you start, you know, doing more things or getting healthier or moving more or eating better. You know, the number on that scale might be a, be an effect, but if it's the focus, it's just so much harder just overall. And I mean, in a a lot of your stuff, you seem to really kind of like, uh, you're pushing not just with, fitness training, but also strength training and specifically aimed at women. Why, why do you see that as such as an important part of kind of like the physical and mental wellness that you, you can, uh, you can send out particularly to your female clients? So for strength training, I think it even goes back to my own story, like starting CrossFit and the, especially for women, like looking at a barbell could be super scary, but it's not as scary as you think it might be. And there's something so empowering about like weightlifting and realizing that like you can like progressively like lift more, get heavy or, you know, get stronger. And you can, especially when you're just starting out, it's all, we call them newbie gains. <laughs> Might see it a little bit in a rowing too, right? Kind of as they're figuring out that good technique, they get a lot better, like really quickly. And so, but even as you keep going with it, that strength training, it just translates so much into everyday life too. Like, uh, let me think of an example, like, you know, deadlifting is like picking up something heavy off of the ground. So if you can deadlift a hundred pounds, picking up, you know, two 30 pound grocery bags is going to get a lot easier, Yeah. you know? And so, um, CrossFit's a lot about, about functional movements as well, like moving, how we move in everyday life. And so if you're getting strong in these ways and these movements, these movement patterns, as we call them, everyday life, things are going to get easier. And I think it's when that light bulb clicks of like, this wasn't as hard as it used to be for me. Like maybe getting off the ground is not as hard now because, you know, like 
lunges. Like I've just, I just can get off the ground easier because my legs are stronger or I'm trying to think of another, another example, but that's just one that came to my mind really quick of there's something so empowering about getting stronger, feeling it, realizing that you can do so much more than you think you could just builds that confidence in that way. And then it just kind of spreads. It just spreads into like the rest of like your life and who you are. And I think if it makes you more confident in that gym area, I, you know, I can see it making you more confident, like in your work, speaking up for yourself, like not staying quiet, you know, not being afraid to take up space, just all those things like that, especially for women. It just kind of propagates everywhere. Well, that's a pretty good answer. <laughs> I mean, that just like <laughs> covers everything. Yeah, sure. You know, I no, I had actually never thought of it along those lines. But yes, that that is a remarkably important way of looking at things. Aaron, thoughts on that one? Um. <sighs> I have to say, I've never really thought of my fitness as being that or staying fit as being that. And recently it's become a little bit like medicine in as much as I know that it's good for me, therefore I will do it. And that you've given me a very welcome um, perspective shift, Alicia, that actually it's something that that does filter out into the rest of my life. Um, and I shouldn't take it for granted and I should appreciate and enjoy it a lot more. Uh, rather than see it as something that I, I, I have to do because I'm now reaching, you know, a ripe old age and my death is imminent sort of thing. So, sorry, please go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say you're welcome. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, it's it, definitely, you know, mi mix it up and making sure you're still loving what you're doing is important. But yeah, I think just remembering that it doesn't just, our fitness doesn't just affect our fitness. I think a lot of people don't realize that, that it can just spread and, you know, even affect like who we are. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, I, um, it's like a dandelion clock when you, when you blow it and the, the, it, it expands out into everything. Mm -hmm. Okay. Alicia, it's been an absolutely brilliant chat. You are a businesswoman and um, you are running lots of different businesses. Please tell people, please tell our listeners how they can find you on different platforms. Definitely. So on Instagram, it's Alicia R. Clark. So it's Alicia underscore R underscore Clark. That's my IG. Mm -hmm. On Facebook, that Facebook group is Indoor Rowing for Women. Pretty simple. You should be able to see that it's my name. That is the admin of the group. That should be pretty easy to find. Um, on those are two biggest places that I am. And so also actually right now, I'm in a kind of a pre-sale mode of a new program that I'm doing. It's called Revamp Your Rowing. And uh, what it is, is it's going to be helping women check their own form by using, you know, vi like videoing yourself. And I'm going to be teaching them what to look for in their stroke to be able to kind of so that they can video themselves, figure out what they need to fix, work on it, things like that, so that they can feel more confident in their rowing form. Because I have seen that with uh, 
there's a big push to learn technique first because they want to make sure that they're safe. And so that's kind of what that's gearing up towards. So depending on when this podcast comes out, I know I'm starting that beginning of December. So um, might be seeing some of that on my IG if I'm you know, launching more publicly in the mid-November timeframe. So we'll see. But Alicia, thank you very much. That's been 